A name is a pretty big deal. A name, as you know, is much more than just a combination of letters of the alphabet that make a certain sound together. A name is a reputation. It's everything that we know or we think about an individual. In fact, a, a name is such a big deal that even if I were to mention just some basic general names like, like Matt or Sarah or Mike or Rachel, when I mention those names, you don't just hear a list of four names. You think of four individuals named Matt, Sarah, Mike, or Rachel. People come to, to, to mind. People that you know, that you have had a, a connection with, a relationship with. And that's why a, a name is such a big deal because it really is the reputation. It's everything that we know about a person, good or bad. A name can be a pretty powerful thing too. Now, you might not think of it that way, but consider when somebody else gets a hold of your name or your identity and the significant damage that allows them to do. Simply by taking your name, your identity, they're able to have access to your bank accounts, your retirement accounts. They can, they can start new credit cards, new lines of credit, all in your name, and a whole lot of damage can be done. A name can be a very powerful thing. And in other contexts, we can, in certain situations, drop somebody else's name and maybe appreciate or enjoy certain benefits or privileges because of the name of somebody else that we know. And of course, we all appreciate when somebody else knows our name as well. I remember it wasn't too long ago that, that I was with my, my wife, with Gina, at a work event, and there were a lot of, of other people in, in her business, in her company, that that were far more successful. And, and people that we knew that you wouldn't expect would know us. And I was talking to the, the husband of, of one of these couples that is in a completely different league. And what struck me was when his wife came by as we were talking, he turned to her and he introduced me by name. He actually remembered my name, which I didn't expect at all because he was a much bigger deal than, than I was, and I was just nobody, just somebody chit-chatting with him, but he, he introduced me by name, and that stuck with me. That's important to us that others know our name. Yes, a name is a big deal, but really there is no bigger deal, there is no bigger name than the name of God, our gracious Lord and Savior Jesus. And if you reflect back on the course of this whole series, this bounce back series, really every Sunday, every message has been in one way, either directly or indirectly tied to God's name. Bounce back to the word. Because in the word, we are pointed to God's name, his reputation. Everything that God wants to reveal about himself to us is in his word. That's how we know his name. And then bounce back to baptism. And baptism is where God branded us with his name and gives us our identity, adopting us into his family. That's where we take on his name as believers, as Christians. Bounce back to witness, which is nothing other than directing other people to the only name that saves the name of Jesus. And then last week, last message was bounce back to prayer which, of course, is offered up in the name of Jesus. We would have no privilege, no access to prayer, if not for the name of Jesus. So today, as we conclude that series, 
bounce back to, to his name, we recognize how significant and how powerful God's name really is. And we had an example of that, really the power of Jesus and, and God's name on display in the gospel for today from Mark. Mark records for us that Jesus was in a, a little town of Capernaum in the synagogue that day, and he was teaching and demonstrating how powerful he was. Listen to the reaction that Mark records for us as people listened to Jesus teach. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then Mark tells us later, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus' name was powerful. His reputation was spreading because his teaching was unlike anybody else. Any other rabbi that had undoubtedly come into that synagogue, the best that he could do to, to pass himself off as wise and knowing was probably to quote other rabbinical teachings, other scriptures, other writings of what other experts and scholars and academics said. But it must have stood out that, that Jesus didn't need to quote anybody else. He simply unfolded the scriptures before his hearers. And undoubtedly, another difference about Jesus' teaching would have been this message of the gospel how Jesus wove all of, of the scripture references together to point to, to himself really as Savior. But that wasn't the only demonstration of the power of, of Jesus and his name and his reputation. That was also demonstrated in a satanic showdown. Mark informs us that there was an individual in the synagogue that day who had been possessed by a demon. Now, does that surprise you? Are you shocked to, to hear that there was a demon-possessed individual in a synagogue where people gathered to hear the word of God? Perhaps it shouldn't. When you think that, that God is gathering all his people around the word in the synagogue or in the church today, isn't that where the devil has his work cut out for him? He's not so worried about the rest of the world for whom God is hardly on their radar. And God's Word is, is a book that doesn't even get more play than maybe being on a bookshelf occasionally or, or dusty and, and unused. He's not worried about the rest of the world, but rather in the churches where the devil has to do his work to, to divide and to infiltrate and to accuse and to do anything that he can to, to continue to extend his puny reign as the prince of this world. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all that the devil would find some vacant, welcoming individual in whom Jesus clearly didn't dwell, where the devil would gladly take over, possess him for his own evil purposes. Do you think that, that demon possession still happens today? We have no reason to think that it doesn't. In fact, I would say there are a number of explanations, even though maybe we would be inclined to think that in our Western civilization we don't see it as prevalently, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to say that. In fact, I wonder if it is more evident than we're aware, but, but the devil is so good at disguising it. 
Now, without diminishing the very real struggles that, that so many people, and especially in our community and downtown, have those who are struggling on the streets with, with addictions and mental disorders, I bet the devil would be more than happy if that's how we write all of that off as nothing more than mental disorders and addictions. And that there wouldn't be any, any devilish, any, any evil explanation behind those individuals that have violent outbursts in their words that are unintelligible and, and do things that are inexplicable, really, to anybody else observing them. But even if that's not the case, and, and the devil isn't so active there, maybe there's another reason we don't see it as much as I kind of already alluded to. Does the devil really need to resort to such tactics in our culture? If he's already got us convinced in, in our society that we're too busy, that we don't have time for God and his word, that it doesn't really need to be that much of a, a part of our lives, the devil's skating along smoothly without a care in the world, except maybe in his church where people are gathered around his word and the word is sung and spoken and confessed and sins are forgiven. Yes, that's where the devil's got his work cut out for him. So that's where the devil goes to work as he did in the synagogue. And even, even if we don't see that as prevalently here, if you go to other nations where, where you see things like witch doctors still and shaman and spiritism, Talk to the Christian missionaries who serve in, in those countries, in those parts of the world, and you will change your mind about whether or not demon possession is a real thing. So if, if that is one of the, the devil's great efforts, the great attempts on his part to basically tear down Christ's church, let's take a look at how successful he was in this day with with Jesus in the synagogue. Usually the devil resorts to, to maybe more subtle, quiet ways, but sometimes you could argue that demon possession is his most bold, his most blatant attack at trying to thwart Christ's kingdom. So if this is the best that he can do, if he's really bringing his best, notice with what relative ease Jesus and his powerful name take care of the situation. As he is present and he is confessing, he knows who Jesus is. Listen to Jesus' response. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. There was no defiance. There was no negotiation. There was nothing but compliance because that's all anybody can do in the powerful name of Jesus. When Jesus himself speaks that command or others command it in Jesus' name, that's all that demon could do was oblige, was follow Jesus' command. Now, if, if that was the power of, of Jesus and his name, in a case where the devil is really bringing his A-game, demon possession, and that's how easily Jesus handled it, is there value in applying the name of Jesus in our other struggles in life, in maybe the, the more subtle ways that the devil attacks us? Would there be a, a place for us saying that the issue is not that, that God's name is not powerful enough, but rather that we don't resort to it or we don't, we don't tap into the power of his name nearly enough? When the devil is sowing his seeds of doubt and despair, 
What would happen if we call on the name of the Prince of Peace? When we are struggling with guilt and sin, what would happen to call on the name of the one who who was tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin? When we are filled with terror and fright, what would happen to remember the name of the one who is our refuge and our strength? When we, when we consider the, the many names, the titles that God has given to himself in Scripture for just about any situation we might find ourselves in, all we have to do is call on the power of his name. Even Jesus recognized the benefit of that. Later on in his ministry, in fact, the same week that Jesus would go to the cross and die, to pay for our sins, Jesus himself prayed to the Father and listened to his prayer on your behalf and my behalf and how he brings the power of God's name into it. It's recorded for us in John chapter 17, in verse 11. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Jesus himself taps into the power of that name on your behalf, asking the Father to continue to protect believers, not, mind you, to necessarily remove all sort of hardship or struggle or evil attack on the part of Satan or the rest of this world, not to necessarily take those away or remove them, but rather to protect us by the power of his name. His name is powerful. And we recognize that as we gather every week for worship. One of the the most important, one of the most beautiful parts of, of Christian worship that the church has followed historically is the closing. We send you off, each other off with the blessing, the benediction. And that benediction we heard in in our first lesson from Numbers. Think about the significance of that. It it happens every week, and, and yet sometimes we hear it so frequently, it becomes so familiar, we forget how powerful it is. And the remarkable thing, the neat thing about it is, this was not just the church's idea, this was not just some pastor's idea, this was God's own idea to place his name on his people. In Numbers, again, what was his his purpose for blessing his people? That was exactly it in verse 27 of Numbers chapter 6. So they will put my name on the Israelites, or we can say them, us too. They will put my name on on them and I will bless them. Is there a more appropriate way for us to, who have gathered together for worship in God's name, to be then sent off for another week with the promise and the assurance and the blessing of God's name being placed on us? So that even if there was nothing else, even if there was no other reason for us to gather, and and that particular Sunday there was no song, no hymn that I really enjoyed, that really moved me all that much. There was no scripture reference that, that struck me or resonated with me. The sermon somewhat fell flat. Even if all of that was the case, and all we had was the blessing, was God placing his name on us to go out for another week. Wouldn't that be enough for us to to gather so regularly. 
and be reminded of the significance that his name is our name, that he places his name on us with that blessing at the close of, of every service. A name is a pretty big deal. And if we are going to improve, if we are going to grow in being okay even when life isn't, friends, know that there is, is no bigger name, no bigger deal than, than the Lord's name. And in his grace, the Lord assures you that he has placed his name on you. Amen.